Three, two, one. Okay, Jules, we're back. We're live. Yes, we are, and it's the weekend. And it, yeah, it's for a few sun- more hours. It's Sunday. That's right. For a few more hours, and Julie and I are back at one of our usual little podcasting spots by the beach. So every time we do one of these Sunday shows, we always want to give everyone a warning in case this is the first one of our shows that they're listening to. This is not our normal format. We're normally much more organized and prepared, and probably caffeinated. I think. <laughs> we don't have Diet yeah. Coke today. Nope. So if you hear any children or birds or wind or just whatever else happens around us, such as the way. It's live. It's live. <laughs> That's right. We don't That's edit our shows. We, you know, Julie, I've been getting a lot of fun emails from people, um, mostly just, just frankly, people being great, very grateful and thankful mm-hmm. that we told them what we did when we did. Yeah. You know, you, you and I had basically been knowing that there was going to be some sort of housing crash and so uh, for over two years two and a half years we've been talking about it and preparing agents for it and you know the whole yeah. thing doing live presentations and it's funny on youtube there's a, a video i don't remember where we were someplace talking about um essentially the cycles of a housing crash and recovery and the whole thing and we we're talking about this like when every when no one wanted to hear it and it was I so think funny it was the hawaii event it may have been Hawaii, Perhaps. may have been Austin, may have but been I remember New York. But th- I remember that, the stages of a housing crash, and, and people were like, oh, no, everything's fine, I've got, you know, 10 offers on everything. And Yeah, but not only that, but they were just, like, it's so funny looking at the, I remember there's just a handful of people that were really, really locked in and engaged from some of those events yes. we did. But that, you know, why were we doing events that, where we were talking about things that people didn't want to hear? And frankly, we were talking about things that people didn't want to hear, and we didn't want to talk about them, because it was the right thing to talk about, really. I mean, it was the moral thing to talk about. And, and I remember one of the events we did, and let's not mention which one in case he's a listener. We walked in, and the broker actually gave us a three-ring folder of the things. He'd listened to our podcast, oh, and so he gave us a folder of the things that he didn't want us to talk about and the things he did want us to talk about. And the crap he wanted us to talk about was just basically 100% centers of influence and past client fluffery. Warm, fuzzy, easy things. That's right. He didn't want us talking about Conflict-free. And so here's the thing. At the beginning of the presentation, I was very... You know, he gave it to us, you know, prior day or whatever, and I was very thankful and grateful. And, you know, I looked over his notes, but I realized what he was trying to do. He was essentially trying to shield his agents from feeling fear of a changing market because he didn't himself know how to deal with the changing market. And now the last I heard, that brokerage is on its heels. So that's the nature of basically hiding your head in your sand or, you know, encouraging your agents not to be prepared is you will suffer the worst of fates in a market like this, and there's always a market like this. Maybe not like this one, but there are always markets well, like this. But regardless, we were talking about it back then because statistically the pendulum swings, and we had gone through more than a decade of, you know, call it recovery if you want to, up after the last recession or, or call it a, a mini housing boom, but prices were going up. And, you know, statistically that is unsustainable because you reach a peak where your supply and demand are not working their way through so regardless of the virus we were talking about you know prepare i remember we did a a talk about um you know how to prepare your business for a recession yeah you know well so i hope they paid attention needless (laughs) to say we didn't use any of his notes for the presentation and we did what we we came there to do and some people were really grateful the reason that's top of mind is because some of the people that were in the audience and you know which event it was and don't say the name um, they they were some of the ones that sent me the longest, you know, nicest emails that I yeah. received this past week. Um, and I really gr- I'm grateful for it, having had, frankly, the past Tim and Julie having the courage to tell the truth and uh, say it like we did. Now I will tell you guys a couple other little funny things that Julie and I came across today. 
um, there were some people that were being interviewed on CNN or on uh, CNBC that were one in particular, which was the bro- well, the broker of Redfin, and well, he was definitely using some Tim and Julie sayings <laughs> in his presentation. There was no doubt. Yep. One two versus have to sell sellers, for example. Yes, he was using he was using a lot of our vernacular, and you know what? I'm glad. I'm thankful. Um, what he was saying on that interview, maybe it was Bloomberg, I don't remember, but what he was saying was really spot on, and he was saying. Uh, it was nice to hear, albeit three weeks late, but it was nice to hear him actually talking the absolute truth about what he saw as the problems in the market, which the biggest one being, obviously, once the virus is in our rearview mirror with, Julie and I are going to touch on that a little bit today, it's going to be, there There won't be any true recovery in the economy or even a shot at it, guys, until there's a vaccine. It's really important you understand that. Um, but yeah, so he was talking about the difficulties in mortgages, which is something we talked about all this week on our podcast, and we're reading more and more about it. And the articles are, it's fascinating. Um, You guys maybe don't know this, but the states were asked by the federal government not to actually report the number of people that were applying for unemployment in the individual states. And I'm sure the government's asking the banks not to uh, report on the number of people that aren't even doing forbearances. They're already in default. Julie and I had that theory. We told you guys about that two weeks ago, and sure enough, we came across some facts today when Julie and I were gathering information for this week's uh, podcast. And what was it, Julie? What, what tell the spike you were telling me about. Yeah, uh, we, I was looking at the uh, graph, you know, like a line graph comparing uh, defaults. So it was trekking along, and it actually, it was shocking how 2006, 7, 8, 9 just kind of looked like, you know, there was an increase but then you got to 2020, and it was literally straight up by probably 30 or 40 percent higher. Talking about number, she's talking about number of defaults, defaults, guys, right? So, like, it wasn't even it wasn't even comparable. And so that's happening now. And th- and this is fairly early on too. Yeah. I mean, we've only been into it enough to miss one mortgage payment. a month. But what's happening is it's not that. Well, yes, the banks are being dicks about doing forbearances. There's no doubt about that. But really what's happening, too, is there's a lot of people that just gave up, probably didn't even try to do forbearances. Um, so we should touch on forbearances, yeah. too. But that's going to that, – so what's – why am I telling you this? Because it's going to get worse. There's no – look, we are looking every day. Julie and I are spending between the two of us probably five or six hours a day looking – and we have two staff reporters that are looking for any anecdotal information, looking for reasons that there's – we're wrong. And – we are not finding anything. As a matter of fact, as more of this information starts to leak out through non-mainstream media outlets, we're seeing that what Julie and I were expecting to have happen is happening, and it's not only it's going to happen far worse than we anticipate. And that is, uh, it's it's sobering. It's kind of in a strange way exciting too, because that means that um, after the end of all the you know the destruction, there's going to be recreation, and that gives a lot of people that maybe wouldn't have had an opportunity at creating amazing businesses that gives them an opportunity to do so but the transition between now and then that's going to be the scary thing for most of you guys that's going to be the hardest thing you probably ever experienced um you know financially in your entire adult lives and it's not going to just be a snapback so we're working on a new theory and we're trying to prove ourselves wrong but here's our theory that we're going to be in it doesn't matter if it's called the great recession or depression too it doesn't matter what it's going to be but what's going to happen is after there's a vaccine that's put in place not during these hit and miss, you know, this state's opening and that state opening. Because, by, by the way, guys, that's just psychological warfare because the government is, is absolutely freaking out 
about um, civil unrest that's already happening. I mean, back in our old town of Columbus, Ohio, where Jules and I are from, there's civil unrest. The downtown, there are riots. I and mean, Midwesterners generally don't get down with that as quickly as the rest of the country. Even in Austin, that was happening too. Well, Austin doesn't um, really surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> Texans are not going to put up with that. But, um, no, no, I mean, the, in yeah. Austin in particular, yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. People are riding there. They'll riot for it, anything. It was like six very, or very, different. very, 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 very left-leaning there. Yeah. But, they but were the, moral the, story, the moral of the story is what the government is very fearful of. And Julie and I talked about, was it Thursday or Friday? Or Friday. Yeah, we talked about, it was a Newsweek article, guys, that Julie and I read, and then we researched it because we thought it was fake news. I really, when the first time I read it, I Tell just, it I couldn't even believe it. I can't remember the exact headline because we're not at our desks, but... Um, it was talking about how there's all of these different ways of deployment and different factions to literally defend Washington, D.C. It's D. called C. continuity of government plans. Yeah. And the continuity some of it military, some of it local, some of it government or political. But mainly this was a military, um, the National Guard, which we had heard about before. But this is an escalation of things like, you know, Black Hawk helicopters at the ready. There's, there are missile installations to shoot stuff down if it's coming at the, at the Capitol. Um, just really hunkering down in defense of the D.C. area uh, to the point where I kept reading. I, always, I just thought, well, this is some scary news. But it, why do they do that? Because they're concerned about continuity of government, which means, you know, if something happens there, who's going to be running the show? Right. And, and so, and so they're, and they're, of course, they have lots of plans. Uh, and there's, I think there's four different levels of escalation, whether they evacuate or they don't, but, but they, they actually use the word evacuate. What so. she's telling you about aren't plans. What she's telling you about are things that are actually happening. Yes. So we're not telling you about a theory and somebody said this or said the other thing. We're telling you in Washington, D.C. It's happening. It it's has on, happened. It's essentially on wartime footing. And, and it wasn't just, and here's the thing that Julie omitted, it wasn't just the National Guards that it, that's been you know deployed. National Guard is... Um, it, the uh, you guys hear that helicopter going over? So the National Guard is not uh, there. Well, the governor basically decides mm-hmm. what the National Guard does, and the, and the national every state is the National Guard, and the National Guards generally speaking get the leftovers from the military. They get used, you know, stuff. Stuff. That's where the National Guard. That's basically what they're treated as. Essentially, your worst case sort of domestic homeland security type situation. Clean up after big storms. That's not what's being deployed in Washington, D.C. What's being deployed in Washington, D.C. is the actual military. Now, see, I didn't realize that that was legal, and I'd always thought that it was illegal, unconstitutional, to have the actual military deployed any place on domestic soil. But it turns out that there's, of course, some clause written in some act, written in some something or another, that makes it legal, and that's exactly what's happening. So what we're trying to tell you guys is that the country itself is essentially on a wartime footing, and it looks like it's going to get worse. And in the interim, between now and when a vaccine is created, um, there's going to be a lot of stories like this. And they're going to be never-ending. They're going to be hard-hitting. They're going to be scary. Um, it's hard to know where to keep your emotions and your thoughts when you're going through all this. So everyone's now focused on the reopening of states. And the whole reopening of states argument is a total red herring. And we'll tell you why we think that's true. Because Julie actually was doing some documenting and did some research on this. They figured out that essentially most people um, won't, like how long does it take for people to stop obeying the powers that be in the government? And it's a shockingly short period of time. And so the reopening of states conversation is yes, political. Yes, it's about the economy, you know, people work and money and all the rest of it. But what it's really about is staving off uh, people revolting against the government. 
And like if I would have told you guys that three weeks ago, none of you would have believed me. And now look at all the places in the country where there's riots happening, when the demonstrations happening because people are getting sick of believing the government. What's quickly happening is the government is losing its credibility, not just the government as we know it, but also the entities that are supposed to be there, like the WHO and like whatever these other, you know, all these organizations that are supposed to be there and have our backs. Well, the problem is there's no clear resolution. And how long can humanity go with that, with a big question mark hanging over you? Somebody said it's like a uh, prison sentence that could either end tomorrow or go on indefinitely. You can't live psychologically with that hanging over you. You've got to make a living. You've got to take care of your family. You know, um, it's not all sunshine and homeschooling for people. You know, there's like uh, domestic violence is on an increase and people want to see their football games. You know, there's there's only so much that people can take before they crack. And that's probably why we're doing this in two two week increments. Yeah, that's right. And so here's you guys got to be real clear about what's actually happening with regards to this reopening of states thing. It's just essentially it's a it's a it's theater. It's not real because. There is no, first of all, there's no playbook for this, okay? There's no playbook for this pandemic, so nobody really knows what's going to happen. But logically, does it make sense to you listeners that they're going to be able to really do that in a meaningful way all the while the pandemic could just basically make an immediate comeback? Well, and you know it's going to. There's yes, no, of course no it is. Won't. I mean, I, and, you know, to the psychological thing, I, I think what you're saying is that even if we're allowed out in the wild again, Yep. It's not just going to snap back. People are not going to be that comfortable, especially after we've been in lockdown this long and we've all had time to think about it, digest it, and, and uh, PTSD. Make some and well, absolutely. I mean, I mean listeners, how do you feel? Are you planning on doing any sort of long term, uh, you know, you plan on flying to England anytime soon? You guys plan well, on. Well, even the school thing, you know, I was talking to some of my mom friends as we're in our golf carts picking up our groceries at the only place we can do it in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, of course, from a six foot distance. And we were talking about, yeah, even if they said you can go back to school tomorrow, not a single mom said that they would send their kid until it's been a good stint of not just lower cases, but virtually no cases, because why would you do that? When, especially when school is practically over. So I, I think that it's not going to be this instantaneous joy fest that we're you know okay pandemic over well with that said so once there's a vaccine julie and i are working on a theory um and it's gonna and we're we're picking up you know little bits and pieces of this theory and we might completely change our minds in a week but this is what it feels like to us you guys remember the term frugality fatigue fatigue remember the staycations and all the yeah Everyone was basically at the end of the recession. They were just getting sick of not spending money. And then there was this big burst of people spending money mostly on luxury items and whatnot. There's no reason to believe that that won't happen again. It might even happen before there's a vaccine because people are just going to go out and want to just overdo it. I mean, it's human nature. There there will be fits and starts of it. You know, now they're talking about a W-shaped recovery where we have little blips. They aren't. There's maybe three people that are. And that so that theory, the the W-shaped recovery or... I don't even think you sh- I don't even think you should have the word recovery as part yeah. of it. But the du- a W shape is what we should probably look forward to. So if you can imagine a W in your head, of course it's not really a W because there was no sudden drop like you would do when drawing a, D- a W. There was a direct drop, and then we think there's going to be a tick up, and then there's going to be a tick down that'll probably go down just as far, if not farther, and then it's going to stay down. So whatever that shape is, is probably what it's going to be. Well, probably, you know follow with new uh, cases and new outbreaks. And, right. You know, and it probably will be different in different towns. You know, the, the middle of the country, 
seems to be less hit, although I heard uh, North Dakota is starting to, you know, have a big spike. But in comparison to New York and California and all that, there probably will be areas that act differently than other areas. Well, so let's make sense. Let's talk about mortgage forbearances. We've been getting a lot of people that are emailing us about this and a lot of confusion. And and we've, Julie and I have been telling you guys the bottom line on our regular podcast. And I I think we're going to say it again, just so you're really clear. So in the CARES Act, it act, and we have this on our website, and if you guys want to download all this, um, all you have to do is text the word uh, SURVIVAL to 31996. So just text the word SURVIVAL to 31996. But in the CARES Act, it specifically says um, that the mortgage servicers, which is who you make your payment to, have to give everyone who asks for it a 12-month forbearance. And listen to what I'm saying, listeners, because I know you, you know, want to tell me what you heard or what you read or what somebody told you on Facebook, but I'm just giving you what the actual CARES Act says. Um, and it actually says that they're not allowed to charge interest on the missed payments. There's no balloon payment at the end, which means that you don't have to pay it all back when the forbearance is over. And all the unpaid mortgage balance goes on the back of the mortgage. So in other words, if you owe you know, 15 years on your mortgage and you miss six months worth of payments, now you owe 15 years and six months. Okay, that's well, as, lo- as well as no credit hit and no fees. That's right. No credit hit and no fees. And it's supposed to be a simple process. Now, we've had a lot of people, Julie and I have four uh, rentals on us. Uh, I'm sorry, four little mortgages on rentals. And Julie told this story on the podcast on Friday or Thursday. She actually called Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo uh, basically said, we'd already put them in forbearance. You didn't even have to ask. And then she got an email and a letter confirming it. And so that was easy. That's it was really easy. I, I had like, you didn't have to do anything. Yeah, it was amazing. And there's there's been some other cases of that being that easy where you go to log on to see your mortgage balance and your regular online thing, and it says click here for COVID-19 forbearance. Right. And you fill out like six questions and you're done. So what a lot of you, or not a lot of you, but what some vocal, what some people are doing is they're spreading bad information and that's causing other people not even to try to get forbearances and they're just missing payments, okay? So you guys got to stop spatting, especially real estate people that are listeners, you have to stop spreading bad information because you're discouraging people from taking advantage of these forbearance programs. Now, do the banks want you to do forbearances? No. Were the banks basically because of the CARES Act forced to do forbearances? Yes. But here's actually what happened is the banks essentially are, uh, we're promised or we're led to believe that they were going to get $100 billion of the initial $2.3 trillion that was released and they didn't get jack. And supposedly what they're doing now, as in right now this weekend, is they're they're hammering out some agreement with the servicers so that the servicers will be getting some sort of, um, you know, aid, handout, whatever you want to call it. And uh, then people, then they're going to essentially streamline the whole process. This makes sense. This is what's going to happen. But we'll tell. Here's the here's the interesting punchline. We read you guys an uh, uh, email uh, of someone from last Friday on our podcast. Where basically, go ahead and tell the story. Well, he was talking about how the first time he just called his servicer, the servicer was like, "Well, we'll do that for you, but you're going to have to make those th- your 90 days of payments up right at the end of 90 days plus that fourth month all at the same time." And so everybody's reaction is the same on that. Why would I ever sign myself up for that? It's completely pointless. Okay, so he hangs up and does some more research. Now, this tells you you should do your research before you make the call, but ended up doing the research, found on the, I want to say Freddie it was Mac. the Freddie Mac website, the actual PDF that says exactly what Tim just said to all of you guys. Yes, of course. you. And he, I think he actually called them, and they said yes. In fact, you absolutely can put it all on the back end. No fees, no credit hit, no balloon payment. Absolutely. Make him do the right thing. So he printed that PDF off, called his lender back, 
and read it to them. And it still took him a couple of conversations for them to cave because he said, well, you know, if you're not going to do the right thing, I'll just report you to whoever regulates you. And then they changed their tune. So is that a servicer being lazy and not wanting to do the paperwork? Is it because they've got some attitude about it and their own little outlook? Or is it just because somebody told them that there's a 90-day balloon? It's not true, guys. It's a fact in the CARES Act. Look it up. Now, I know that if you just Google the CARES Act, because it's on our website, it's massively, it's huge to wade through all the, all the good stuff's at the end. But you can go to the... Uh, the yeah, text, Freddy- the, text the word survival to 31996. Um, you guys should be receiving your stimulus money. Granted, it's only like 1500 bucks, but you should be receiving your stimulus checks on the website. So when you guys text the word survival to 31996, we're going to give you access to our free coaching program that we just came out with in response to this. And uh, part of that coaching program is what we call the uh, Ultimate Agent Survival Guide. So it's three parts. The first part is called personal. The second part is called protect. And the third part is called profit. Um, And as we've been saying for the last over a month, you're not going to get to the profit stage unless you've basically done the first two at the highest level. So the things we're telling you to do now are the things that are basically regard to, you know, protecting your finances and essentially making it so that your personal, you know, you put your own personal mask and the mask of your family on first, you know, there's a little plain analogy for you. So um, let's move on. The PPP money is all gone. And not to say we told you so, but we told you so. It took 10 days. We told you guys. $49 when that, billion. And, right. And how many of you wrestled in your heads with whether you should do it, whether you should do it tomorrow or the next day, whether you know you wanted to debate it, you wanted to get other people's opinions on it. You wanted, I saw all the time wasting you guys did. All the while, Julie and I were screaming at the top of our voices every day on our podcast and other people's podcasts on Zoom meetings we were doing. Everybody, we were telling them to get the damn PPP money. The PPP money is, in essence, uh, it'll turn into a grant. It starts out as a loan, but for most of you, it'll turn into a grant. We're not uh, accountants. We're not you know, attorneys. We're not SBA loan experts, but just the way it, it reads, it for the vast majority of you, it'll be essentially two and a half times your average monthly income. Now, if you don't, if you're saying, Tim, Tim, I'm 1099, what's my average monthly income? Well, it's your net. It's whatever your net was from your business. So if you made $100,000 and you say you netted $50,000, you basically netted around $4,000 a month. They're going to take $4,000 and multiply it by two and a half. That's going to be a loan. And as long, I'm a, technically a loan. And as long as you use 75% of that loan for your own payroll, the way it reads is that that'll then turn into a grant that you don't have to pay back. You guys listening to what I'm telling and you? Yes, we know people who have already received these. It is a real thing. This is not mythology. This actually is going down as we speak. That's right. Now, here's the good news. Ready? It looks like, and I'm not sure when it's going to happen, but it looks like they're about to put another $250 billion into this program. But here's the problem. Listen to what I am telling you. I bet you that'll even go faster than the first round did. And the reason is, is because there are probably still so many applications that are stuck in the, yes. you know, the system that didn't get any of the first round that that money's going to go probably within days. Here's what you do. Listen to what we're telling you. And this is what we tell you to do as part of that coaching program too. You go ahead and you submit in the applications and how you do it and who you do it for and everything. We shortcutted the whole thing. Just text the word survival to 31996. But we want you to submit the application to three different lenders. And I'm not going to go into it because I don't feel like talking about it, frankly, and it's all on the website. Just text the word survival to 31996. 
but uh, submit it to three different lenders, not just your local Yokel lender. Do it to the you know a couple of big lenders, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and your local Yokel. Then you're going to have your basis covered. There are going to be other programs that come out. You know, the unemployment insurance. All of you should be doing it. You, you will get a minimum of $30,000 a month. Some of you will get as much, I'm sorry, 30000 a month, <laughs> 3000 a month, 3000 a month to 4000 a month. Some of you might even get more depending on your familial. And, you know, your spouse can do that too. It's not just a one person. Right. And those programs are slated to only last four months, but I bet you anything they're going to last a lot longer than that. And when, in our opinion, you're being involved in the programs to begin with. We'll put you at the front of the line as they continue these programs because in our opinion, and we pray that we're wrong, and I mean it in the Old Testament style praying, okay? We pray that we're wrong, but in our opinion, we are in a long-term cycle that is not going to come back until basically people start getting jobs again. Um, and that's really the essentially how you, if you want to cut through all the busyness, all the Mickey Mouse, you want to cut through all the BS, here it is. There's not going to be a real opportunity for any sort of recovery in our economy until there's a vaccine. That's just a fact, Jack, which no one's talking about. They all want to talk about other things because they want to distract you from that, that serious fact. And the second thing is, is even after that, the damage that will have happened to our economy and the, the form of people losing jobs and, frankly, lo- losing faith, that's going, to be, that's going to be something that's going to change every human on the face of you know, the earth. That's a... That's a seismic event that we're all going to, you know, Julie and I were just talking about the obvious examples of the Depression era people and things like that. Same thing's going to happen. You know, not in the same way, but, you know, similar. There's going to be movements away from cities. There already is. We did stories about that. How people are wanting to move to areas that they can be more self-sufficient. You know, chickens, you know, their own water source, their own power source, grow their own food. Actually, Redfin Guy talked about the increase of searches for the middle of the country and for rural farmland as well. Yeah, he did. Um, so, the, you know, who knows? Like, is that just a temporary thing and people are going to go back to them wanting to live on, uh, you know, in high-rise buildings in downtown Miami? I don't know. But the moral of the story is that we're looking at a future that is going to be, in many ways, much more, I think, beautiful, interesting, creative, exciting. And we're looking at um, a future also that's going to be a lot scarier because of all the uncertainty. Uh, The people that are always hurt the most in times of change are the ones that basically try to fight the change and hope and pray things will return to the way they were. And a lot of you guys are doing that same thing. I hear it. I read it in your emails. You know, your feedback I get from you all day long. You got to trust me on this one, guys. You have to buckle down and have to essentially move towards the skills that are going to be needed in this interim period, which could last a year. It could last three years. That's what we're teaching you in our coaching program. We're the only ones teaching the information that we are in our coaching program because, frankly, guys, when I talk to some of these other presidents and leaders and CEOs, they honestly do not know anything about distressed real estate. They don't know anything about short sales. They don't know anything about BPOs. They don't know anything about doing price reductions because they themselves, guys, and this is the shocking truth, have only been in the business since the Great Depression or since the Great Recession. In other words, they themselves have never a sold real estate, or b if they did, they've never sold real estate in a transitioning market like this. And those are your leaders. And your and here's the sad part: is they're not willing to accept or admit their deficiencies with knowledge. And so that's the reason they're all talking about the same bullshit, well, basically. Know- funny that you say that because what I what came to my mind is you know the stages of mastery where you don't know what you don't know that's you know unconscious incompetence that is what it is on, on 
kind of a leadership level is a pretty scary thing. Yeah. It's unconscious incompetence. In other words, they don't know what they don't know. What are the, what are the four or five stages? Well, they all sound the same, so you almost have to write them down. So the first one is unconscious incompetence. That means you don't know what you don't know. Then you move up to figuring out there's stuff you don't know. That's called conscious incompetence. You're conscious of your incompetence. Then you work on your skill set, right? You get it together, you get some coaching, you get some help, you do your research, you get your education together, and you, you go out there, you take risks. Sometimes you hear no, sometimes you hear yes, you work on it. Then you get to conscious competence. You are consciously more competent. Yes, you still have to prepare at a high level, but you know how to prepare now. And then, after you've gone through all of those stages, because you can't skip any stages, it doesn't work like that, you get to unconscious competence. That's like cruising altitude. And, you know, honestly, some people were like that for almost a decade, where they got to be just enough that they could, you know, and the market was carrying them. And they, they thought they had conscious competence. I'm sorry, unconscious competence, where they were cruising altitude. But in fact, because you didn't work on your skills, you probably have fallen back further than you think. So you've got to ask yourself, what level are you at? But we know that most of the leadership out there doesn't even know what they don't know because of Tim's point, they never sold real estate or if they did, it wasn't during a changing time like this. And this is so much more drastic even than people that did live through it. People telling you to nice. drill down and do more of the same uh, are only telling you that because they don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. This, it, look, here, let's just draw a big circle around this topic, right? Because this is what Julie and I have been talking about. One of the biggest sea changes that will happen as a result of this, in our opinion, are all the things we, we talked about. All, I mean, all the, you know, it's pretty much, you know, everything is, is going to change. But the, one of the biggest things that are going to change is people are going to realize that they cannot be reliant. In other words, they can't be counting on, you know, the government. They can't be counting on really anything. There's going to be almost a level of distrust that's not going to go away anytime soon. And it's not going to be politicized either. It's not going to be on this side or that side. Everyone's going to feel like that. Everyone's going to feel let down. You know, we're seeing this, Julie and I, we're naturally skeptics. And we're certainly not conspiracy theory guys. I mean, we're not, which might make us smarter, might make us dumb. Oftentimes, I wonder. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, the information that's coming out about maybe China not being so passive in this, yeah. the release of this. You know, asshole virus was what we're calling it. It's very interesting. It's very fascinating because it does appear. I mean, we read, we heard this before. We thought there's just loons that were passing along bad information. But we researched this and we read articles from credible sources. Um, How about this, guys? The little wet market supposedly where, you know, somebody (laughs) ate an uncooked bat. In essence, it's not really a bat, but it's basically a bat right across the street is this essentially this place where they make chemical weapons. And it's also a lab. Um, and so, I don't know, it seems like kind of a quink and ink to me. And, you know, that whole thing, there's a story to be told there that's going to, it could potentially lead to, um, I mean, you guys can run away in your own minds with where that's going to go. And so if a lot of you guys are asking us, like, on a personal level, you say, you know, those of you who have known us for a long time, you ask Julie and I what we're doing. And what we're doing is exactly what we tell you to do. Exactly. We're doing exactly what we're telling you to do. We, we had our own personal stuff that was, has been, Julie and I have always run lean and basically are, you know, financially, we've always been very conservative. So that wasn't such a big thing for us. But on like, are we investing? No. Are we looking to spend money on anything? No. Are we planning on, we're not doing anything like that. Because guys, in our opinion, with a few exceptions, pretty much everything is going to, has a long way to fall. Collector cars, you know, my, my passion, houses. frankly, houses, real estate. Everything is going to take a very uh, steep drop-off 
And again, nobody's talking about it, but you guys watch three weeks from now. Everyone will be talking about it. Julie and I usually lead with this. And you know the thing is, is that the other people, it's not that they don't have access to the information. I just think they don't want to tell you. I don't think they're comfortable telling you because it makes them too scared to want to deal with it. But we're always going to tell you so you guys can be overprepared. So the moral of the story is, is what's going to happen next is going to you know, be essentially a precipitous drop-off in asset values. And are we going to buy then? No. And I'll tell you why. We're not going to buy. We're not going to start looking at investing until A, there's a vaccine, and B, until there's an actual, you know, we're going to see what happens with the looking maybe six months into the future about reemployment. Because there will be a, continue, a continuation of uh, value destruction like we've never seen before if people cannot, uh, frankly, in our industry, get a mortgage. And that's what's really starting to happen. And they're not going to get a mortgage, not because the banks are being jerks, which, frankly, in some cases is, is the case, but it's because they don't have jobs. And if they don't have, maybe they have jobs, but they don't have full employment. They're not making the money necessary to qualify for houses. So you guys got to use your brains here. How can there not be a drop in real estate values if there's a drop in the number of people that actually want to, can afford to buy the houses? Oh, they got jobs again, but their jobs don't qualify them to buy the houses because they're not making so much money and they had to spend their down payment money. Or the house that they had to sell that was uh, would have been their down payment on their next house is worthless. You guys get it? You see how this is dominoes? So the only other thing that it has to happen is uh, home values have to drop. And we know, especially from the Great Recession, that when people basically are tenants to the bank, when they know that they're paying, the essentially the house is worth less, they have no equity in it, and they're essentially just paying uh, a mortgage payment to a bank um, that essentially is just like rent. What people will do is they stop making the payment and they oftentimes will abandon the property. That is the nature of humans. That is what well, happens. I, think it'll be, I do think there will be elements of it being worse this time because people know that's right that strategy before you know it, it was like a development like the strategic short sale and stuff like that was a an outcropping of the recession that hadn't happened before now people know and they can see it coming and they can have a strategy um and, and they're gonna game you know, it they're gonna, they're gonna game, game the that's, crap out of it i mean especially in markets like las vegas where yep. which didn't fully recover anyway nope and and it was a hot topic and it became normal inland california yeah. all the markets that basically were you know hit the hardest last time there's no stigma to it anymore like nope. there was either that's right and you, you know there were i remember there's a business in san francisco or in san diego and i actually had them before we were doing our podcast i had them on a webinar um, I don't remember the name of it. Um, you remember that it was a short sale. It was a business that basically s- sold an information product and it was on TV mm-hmm. and whatnot, telling people how to strategically oh, short yeah, sale. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you remember that? I can't remember the name of it either. But it was yes. crazy. That was like it yeah. was like his his spots would run right after like a you know a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial. You know, teaching people how to strategically short sale. All that's going to come back, guys, unless there's a real turnaround in employment, which ain't going to happen. Um, and so that's the future. And what do you have now in your skills toolbox that's going to make it so that you won't just survive, you can actually thrive through that time? Eventually, things will return to normal. Eventually, prices will essentially... But you have to survive long enough to be there when it that's does. That's right. You've got to participate in the transition market if you intend to participate in the recovering market. And I know some of you are thinking, and I know this is inevitable, some of you are saying, you know what, this is a good time for me to just take a few years off and mm-hmm. get out of real estate. Well, where are you going to work exactly? Yeah. Where, what's, what job's waiting for you out there when there's this much unemployment? So maybe the thing for you to do is actually buckle down 
and uh, get your skills on. That's, so last market was a relationships-based business. And that's the reason things that are passive, like centers of influence and past clients and all this other stuff, that's the reason that stuff um, had a shelf life. In this new market, it's a skills-based business. And if you don't shift all your best energies to learning the new skills that are necessary, and you need to do it urgently, you're not going to make it through this transition. There's just no two ways about it. Is that direct enough, Julie? Yeah, well, I mean, there are going to be transactions happening. You, you guys are still, some of you, a little bit skeptical because you have closings this week. You have new listings that are getting some showings. But remember, you're burning off your past accomplishments right now. That's right. And there's going to be, I think you're going to see a great settling of things over April and May. For sure. And you're going to see. Well, May and June. Especially May and June is going to be far fewer sales. Not no sales. You just have to decide whether you're going to be part of those sales. Here's an interesting statistic. Like during, like last year, I think there were 5.5 or 5, between 5.5 and 6 million home sales in the United States. Okay. Uh, during the height of the crappiest market during the Great Recession, there are four million. So yes, there's a drop off, but it's, it's not to nothing. It's, it's not to nothing. So there are sellers that still have to sell. It's the type of deal you're doing. You're not going to have recreational sellers anymore. You're going to no. have have to sell sellers that are freaking out. Which, in a sense, from an agent standpoint, is not a bad thing because you're going to get better pricing out of them. If you know how to do it. Assuming that you have some scripts in your head. If you know how to proactively lead generate, you see the, all the ifs that are attached to what we're saying. And if you think you're just going to basically buy buyer leads and do social networking and some TikTok videos, you know, come on now, really? Well, here's where the rubber will meet the road. When they're friends who they thought they had it in the bag, who have to sell, who are stressed out financially, make you have to compete for a listing. That's right. And that's what's going to happen. You know, I was just thinking, as I said that, can you imagine if other quote unquote professionals essentially did all their lead generation from TikTok videos and Instagram? (laughs) I mean, what if you're playing on hiring like... Uh, you know, you're looking for a surgeon in the way that the surgeon, you know, some surgeon marketing guru said, if you want to basically get more, you know, clients to do surgery, you know, it, surgery clients, you have to do a bunch of TikTok videos where you're dancing around doing Instagram videos of you eating spaghetti. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. think about the insanity of that guy. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, it's so funny. Anyway, look, if you want to do the social networking stuff because it's fun, then do it because it's fun. We certainly do a little bit of it. That's, you know, it's fun. But to expect to get business from it, that's crazy. And to think that you're going to be able to go in this marketplace without really completely reshuffling your own mental desk deck without with regards to your skill set, that's equally as loopy. So guys, take this seriously. Now, some of you um, are going to ask about how to, you know, Tim, shut up and tell me how to get in your coaching program, <laughs> right? Okay, that's fine. Just text the word education to 31996. Text the word education to 31996. And someone from our staff will call you immediately back and they'll get you in the coaching program. And we are going to be doing a promotion for the coaching program. I'm frankly working on it now where every single one of you can join the coaching program with essentially without any money. You can join. This is the not the free coaching program, but this is the one where you get two hours of um, intense semi-private coaching calls a day where you get all the scripts, all the objection handlers, all the short sale program, the listing presentation, the pre-listing pack. This is our deep dive in what it takes to be our true real estate expert. Um, so that product is going to be available soon. I'm hoping this week where you can essentially finance it uh, through one of two um, third-party lenders we're working with where if you pay it off for a certain amount of time, there's no interest in the payments right around 100 bucks. It's not credit-based. It's not based on anything. It's You want to be in the coaching program. 
Um, we're taking the risk and we're allowing everyone to be in the coaching program. And that's your opportunity to essentially take your real estate business to the next level. Look, we're all going to be in one form or another quarantine until there's a vaccine. And while we're in this quarantine together, we might as well basically all learn together. That's what Julie and I are doing. So if you ask us what we're doing, I just told you, <laughs> right? And if you, you know, that's what you should be doing too, because this is the best time ever because you have no excuses. Look, you've got to be running out of Netflix. You've got to be running out of Hulu. If you didn't listen last week, I shared with you, you want to end with things you hate and things you love? Remember, but go ahead. Well, I'll share first. one. This is, I mean, this is, a, we're getting this from uh, Ben Shapiro. He ends every one of his podcasts with one thing he hates and one thing he loves. Julie and I tried that last week. It, it, so far, it's been sputtering, but I'll, I'm going to reshare. Um, I'm not sure if I love or I hate this. Well, it, I'll, let me put, I'll, I'll put this on the hate side. One of the things I hate is that the average American now is spending eight hours a day watching Netflix <laughs> every single day. That's the average American spending eight hours a day. Um, which means the average agent is spending probably more like 12 or 14 hours a day. That's a joke. Okay, that's something I hate. Some, something I love, um, I told you guys, I know it sounded counterintuitive, but I'm actually excited about this change. I love the fact that a changing market like this is going to, anytime the tide goes out, you can see all the people swimming naked, and I say this as I'm literally looking at the tide coming in and out on the ocean here in Dorado, Puerto Rico. Um, you're going to see all these people that basically, as we used to say in Texas, tall hat, no cattle. They're basically fakers. And the world is full of fakers, people whose only existence is predicated on their ability to borrow money. Um, you know, that. And uh, they could cover up the fact that they were low-skilled or no-skilled. And you guys were competing, or maybe you're one of those people, if you're being honest, for the past 10 years with people who won't make it in this market. So one of the things I love is I love the fact that people that truly have a skill set and frankly, are willing to be pioneers into this new world, I love the fact and I'm excited about the fact that those people are going to thrive. And maybe only in a changing market like this could people like that have actually excelled at the level in which they can now. So Jules, one thing you hate and one thing you love? Oh, goodness. Well, I just hate this effing virus. That's that's can kind of sum it all up because it, they, I think we're all in this together on that one. So I don't, don't need to drill down on that. You don't need to belabor that one. It's kind of a dick. All right. So then we have things that I love. I love the fact that there's so much more exposure to the normal person of a lot of these artists and musicians that are posting things online because they're sequestered too. Like Yo-Yo Ma did his cello suites on Facebook. All right. So how many of you guys would have normally come across that? Probably almost nobody. Um, painters and artists and uh, John Luke Picard, who's got a different real name in real life, <laughs> is doing, uh, you know, reading Shakespeare sonnets at night. I, I think, you know, that's a really peaceful, unifying thing. I, I love that because the average person probably wouldn't have that kind of, well, let's just call it what it is, nerdy ass exposure. But you know, yeah. It's okay. Well, you know, along those lines, though, look. But what I like it. Look what we're not talking about, or look what popular culture isn't talking yeah, about a anymore. A lot of goofy crap. Yeah, a lot of goofy crap. There's, you guys can go to Google Trends. Um, I don't do this that often, but it's kind of fun to. If you go to Google Trends, just Google Google Trends, and it'll take you to a page where you can essentially drop in certain keywords, or it'll just tell you what people are actually googling and looking for. You know, yeah. in your state, nationwide, different things, and it's unbelievably cool how essentially what people are starting to reattach to are the things that made us all um, a community, Americans. And I'm hearing, and I'm really loving this, I'm starting to hear people uh, play the national anthem again. I'm starting to see bubbling ups of uh, a feeling of unity, mm -hmm. not around a set of cultural beliefs or a political you know, 
ideology or really a political religion is what it's become, but around essentially the community of being an American. To me, that's the other thing that makes me very exciting, excited. Yeah, I think it could be an interesting 4th of July, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, we're all going to be watching it on Zoom, but whatever. But in, in terms of being, you know, Americans together yeah. and having some unifying factors, I think that's going to be pretty cool. All right. Well, there you guys go. There's our Sunday debrief at the beach. Turns out that we're not that interesting even on Sunday. This is the reason we should, <laughs> this is the reason we should have taken, uh, had some Diet Cokes. Yes. Or as someone suggested, we need to start drinking on Sunday when we right. do these podcasts. All right. Could be more interesting. Yeah, we'll don't, don't say you, we weren't warning you. <laughs> <laughs> Joy swears like a sailor when she's a little liquored up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early in the day for that right now <laughs> well anyway there you guys go so See you in the, the normal podcast during the week in the normal podcast where we're just every bit a little bit more drilled down and focused and actually have organized points and we're not just winging it but this these are the things that literally we were talking about there at the top of our head so god bless you guys stay healthy this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com <laughs>